Thanks so much for listening to the Summit Church Hazard Podcast. We are in a series through the book of Revelation, and today we are in Revelation 4 and 5, talking about the center of reality. If you've been blessed by the ministry at Summit, we invite you to give. You can find ways to give online in the show notes, as well as how to connect with us in all of the social media spaces and places we are online. Stick around after today's sermon. We've got a few things for you. For now, let's dive in. We are in today, Revelation chapters 4 and 5. So go ahead and open up there, and uh, I'll, I'll get with you here in just a minute. Now, as you're turning to Revelation 4 and 5, let's remind ourselves what's happening here. What's happening in Revelation 4 and 5 is that, what's happening in Revelation, rather, is that this book is written to churches who are being persecuted. And the persecution that the seven churches originally written, the book of Revelation is written to, the persecution is coming from the Roman Empire, largely under two emperors. Uh, the first emperor uh, that a lot of this persecution was coming from, he was the emperor Domitian. And Domitian instituted what's called emperor worship. And so emperor worship is exactly what it sounded like, that citizens of Rome were to worship the emperor not as a politician but as a deity. It was, uh, it was custom that it, 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 under Domitian that every citizen under Roman rule, which all seven of these churches that would have been, they had to go to the temple in Rome at least one time a year, take a pinch of incense, throw it into the fire, and as they threw it into the fire, they had to say, Caesar is Lord. Not as an act of political solidarity, but as an act of worship. Caesar is Lord, Lord of my life. This is why Jesus is Lord was so controversial. They killed him because they saw, that Je- they, saw, they saw Jesus as Lord, not as a worship statement, as a political statement. This guy is c- trying to start anarchy. He's trying to overthrow the government. We got to kill him, take him out. But Caesar is Lord was an act of worship. If you did not do that, then you were considered a traitor of Rome. You could have been killed. But every person that did not take part in Roman and in, in emperor worship, which obviously Christians couldn't do, they were cut off from the local economy so that they could not buy or sell goods. But probably the most famous emperor that Rome had was a guy named Nero. You've probably heard of Nero. Rome, uh, Nero hated Christians, and history records that Nero gave to the church some of its worst persecution that it ever walked through. Nero would take Christians alive, sew them up in animal skins, throw them to wild animals in the Roman Colosseum, and for entertainment, people would come to the Colosseum and watch Christians be torn to death and eaten alive. Nero would have parties at night, and obviously there was no electricity, and history records this actually happened, that Nero would take the bodies of Christians, dip them in wax, impale them on poles, and light them on fire to light his parties in the evenings. This was life for these seven churches. And and I don't know about you, but maybe you're a lot like me. When life is hard, it is hard to see beyond what's happening to you, isn't it? Right? 
And it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I guarantee these people were just like us. It was so hard probably to see beyond your friends and family being killed, people starving to death. You can't take part in the economy, for goodness sakes, just because you love Jesus. It's so hard to see beyond that. But even if you bring it into today, something happens to your kids, something happens to somebody you love, or even just the day-to-day struggles of life, it can be hard to see beyond what you see. And so it's no mistake at all that what Jesus does in Revelation is after Jesus sends seven letters to the seven churches. And remember last week, if you missed it, go back, check it out on the app online. Jesus said over and over last week, I know what you're going through. I know where you, I know what's happening to you. It makes, it, 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 it's, it's, it makes total sense. It's no mistake at all that the very next thing Jesus does after telling these churches, I know what you're going through, is Jesus pulls back the curtain on reality so that they and us can see beyond what we see. So if you've got a Bible open, let's read. We're going to read Revelation chapter 4, the whole thing. It's just 11 verses, but you've got to read these verses. Revelation 4 and 5 are some of the most amazing, beautiful, awesome, literally awesome chapters in the Bible. So let's go. Revelation 4 is what we're going to read. After this I looked, and there before me was a... Door. This is why there's doors on stage. A couple, people, a couple weeks ago, people asked, are we auctioning those doors off for something? Are we raising money here? And, or why is there a door in the Revelation logo? The, Revelation is a door opens, walk through it. A vision happens, it's an open door, walk through the door. I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first, I, I heard at first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third has a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So stop right there. See, Revelation, again, let's remind ourselves. Revelation is a series of visions. And it's a series of visions. I love that Revelation 3, the letters ended last week with Jesus saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him. And the very next thing is we see an open door. Jesus is knocking on the door, and then there's an open door, and John goes through the door, and John sees a vision of God. 
And listen, it's on purpose that the first thing in Revelation, the first vision is not a vision about the Antichrist and the future and all kinds of things we want to know about. It is on purpose, man. This is strategic. The first vision is a vision of God. Why? Because these seven churches are asking, where is God? We are dying here. We are starving to death. Where is God? And God is exactly where he needs to be. God is on the throne is what John wants us to see. And and so what, what happens here is John sees heaven. The clearest picture of what is happening in heaven right now. Have you ever wondered that? What are they doing in heaven right now? The clearest picture of that in the Bible is Revelation 4 and 5. What are they doing in the Bible? What are they doing in heaven? Rather, read Revelation 4 and 5. John sees heaven. This is very important. What John is seeing is heaven as it is now, not as it will be. John is not getting a a vision of heaven in the future. John, Revelation 4 and 5, is a picture of heaven as it is right now. If you and I, if we were transported to heaven, boom, instantly, we were in in heaven right now. What would we be seeing? What would be happening around us? Revelation 4 and 5. This is heaven as it is this morning. This is not the future. This is heaven right now. Think about it like this. What John is seeing is the center of reality. And at the center of reality is God on his throne. You can say it like this. God's throne, God's throne room is the realest real. Can we say it like that? God's throne room is the realest real. Think about it like this. That the reality that you and I are in right now, this reality, the chair that you're in, you're looking at me, the reality that you can see, taste, touch, feel, smell, that you are in, watch this, there is a parallel reality. And you can't see that reality with your physical eye. There is a parallel reality right now happening just alongside this reality that you and I are in. And this unseen reality, and at the center of this unseen reality, is God on his throne. And this unseen reality absolutely impacts the reality that you and I are in right now. Does this make sense, 930? I know it's early. I know it's early. are Are you with me? So there's a parallel reality. And the center of not only that parallel reality, but listen, the center of all reality is the throne room of God. And so John sees God. I love that he says, I saw someone sitting on the throne. And then in verse 3, he starts trying to describe what God looks like. And if you've ever wondered, why doesn't John just say what he sees? Well, you as a finite being would have a hard time describing an infinite reality. Are you, are you catching what I'm throwing? Right? Language is a limit here. Language kind of keeps you in a box that, man, I've never seen anything like this. And so John just starts grabbing stuff. This is why the, probably the most used word in the book of Revelation is like. I saw this and it was like this. It was like this. I saw this. I've never seen anything like this. It was like this. So verse 3, he says that the one on the throne was like he had the appearance of jasper and ruby, and there's a rainbow coming from the throne. What John is trying to get you and I to understand is that there is nothing like God. He's not saying that God is these jewels. These are rare jewels. These would have been the most valuable jewels in John's day. John is saying, I love what Vern Poitras, a biblical scholar, says about this verse. John is trying to help us to see that God is himself the ultimate source of splendor and beauty. I love that. 
That's what John wants you to see. God is beautiful, church. God is awesome. There is nothing like him. And then from verse 3, John just tries to describe everything around what he's looking at. And, and remember what we've always said, that Revelation uses the Old Testament more than anybody else. Everything in the book of Revelation is usually in the Old Testament. There's nothing new in the book of Revelation. Nothing new here. Usually points back to the Old Testament. Everything that John begins to describe, you see in the Old Testament description of the temple. So if you're taking notes, you can uh, think about it this way. That the temple in the Old Testament was modeled after the heavenly throne room. The temple in the Old Testament was modeled after the heavenly throne room. So verse 4, surrounding God's throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. These are angels. And that's a throwback because in the book of 1 Chronicles, David takes the temple priests and divides them into, watch this, 24 groups. And then all of the language to describe the throne room is a lot of furniture and fixtures in the temple. John even goes on to see, in, to see there in verse 5 that in front of the throne there are seven lamps burning. Lamps, Old Testament temple. But look at what he says here. Those seven lamps are the seven spirits of God. Now if you've been here for the past couple of weeks or you've been paying attention here maybe online, the number seven is a really important number in the book of Revelation. Does anybody remember what it means? perfection, completeness. John's not saying, I looked at God's throne room and there was literally seven spirits flying around. I counted them. No, that's not what he means. What John means is from God's throne room, throne room, the perfection and fullness of the Holy Spirit is right there in the throne room. See, by the time we're done this morning, what John will see is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John is in the presence of of the Trinity here. John is in the presence of the Godhead. This is awesome. All of these angels, they begin to worship. And so you get this crazy description of these four creatures, one with a face like a lion, another one like a man, and all kinds of things. And these things look wild. They've got eyes all over them and wings. But you've seen those before. No, really, you have in the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah. Most popular place you've seen this is in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember, Isaiah goes into the temple and he sees that vision of God and angels are flying around God's throne. And what are they singing? They're singing the same song. Can you imagine you're created and you sing one song on repeat? It's in Isaiah 6. Here it is in Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Same creatures. These same creatures. Why do they all have different faces? Because these angels, these angels symbolize all of creation is covered in the glory of God. But you've seen these creatures before. You know that story, right? Isaiah sees God and then he sees God and God says, who will I send? And then we even put this verse on the wall out there in the lobby. Isaiah 6, God. Isaiah says, God, here am I, send me, right? You've already seen these creatures. And then you continue Revelation 4, all of the angels start working. This is just an awesome scene. But there's a problem. And the problem is in, ver is in chapter 5. Now, I hope you got a Bible. These verses are not on the screen. We're going to work through chapter 5, all right? Chapter 5, look at it. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And I wept. 
and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside of it. John knows this is a big deal. This scroll, all of heaven is leaning into this scroll. This scroll matters. Here's the problem. Nobody could open it. It's sealed shut. Seven, perfectly. It's perfectly locked up. Perfectly sealed. John begins to weep. Because what John gets the sense is that everything that happens from this point forward is coming out of that scroll. Listen to me. Everything that happens in the book of Revelation from this point forward flows out of this scroll. Everything in the rest of the series flows out of this scroll. The scroll is important, but nobody can open it. Verse 5, then one of the elders, the angels, said to me, don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, who is that? Oh, 930. The root of David. Where have you heard these before? Old Testament. He's, con- he's just, man, he's just soaked in the Old Testament. He can't help himself. I see the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now watch this because, man, I love when Revelation does this. I love this. Verse 5, this angel says, John, don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. John turns around to see this lion, but look at verse 6. He doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. It's gonna, man, that is going to happen so many times in the next couple of weeks. John, do you hear the lion? Turns around, it's a lamb. I see the lamb, watch this, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Now watch this, so Jesus is at the center, and then encircled around Jesus by the four living creatures and the elders. What you begin to see is this just viv, viv, uh, vision of concentric circles. All of heaven is centered around Jesus, the lamb had seven horns, all power, seven eyes. He sees all things, which are the seven spirits of God. The fullness of the spirit dwells in Jesus. Jesus goes, verse 7, took the scroll from the right hand of, right hand, <laughs> hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They were, watch this, holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. We'll come back to that in a couple of weeks and they sang a new song and they begin to worship Jesus because Jesus is worthy to open the scroll Jesus is worthy to take this scroll and open it and so all of heaven just begins to worship and and it doesn't just stay with these angels you continue to read in chapter 5 it moves to all of creation is worshiping Jesus all of creation is worshiping God and John is saying listen churches this is happening while you are in those seats. Do you understand that this morning? That while you're here this morning, there is a parallel reality. And at the center of it is God on the throne. And Jesus, the lamb that was slain, who has this open scroll in his hand. And all of heaven is worshiping. This is reality. Listen to me. If you're taking notes, write this down. Revelation is showing us reality. Revelation is not primarily about the future. It's a remember apocalypse, unveiling. It wants to show you something. What does Revelation want to show me? It wants to show me reality. Because one of my biggest problems is that I think that reality is only in what I see. But God gave this vision to the church so that if they're going through intense persecution or if they're going through a global pandemic, God gave this vision to the church to say, listen, church, you need to look beyond what you see to what you don't see because at the center of reality is God on his throne, the lamb that was slain with a scroll in his hand, and this vision can anchor you no matter what. You need this vision. You need to see reality this morning. 
And so I just think there's a couple things from this that flow out of this that directly apply to us. If we're going to really apply this, and that's what we need to do, right? We need to apply this. Uh, Chapter 1 says we're blessed if we hear this and begin to live it out. Do it. How do you live out this reality? Well, I think there's a couple things here. If you're trying to keep score, keep track with me, you might want to write these things down. I think the first thing we see from this is that at the center of reality is a throne, and none of us are on it. Let me say it again for the people in the back. At the center of reality is a throne, and you ain't on it. And I'm not on it. And none of us are on it. Here, let me think about it, uh, help you to think about it like this. How many people remember a time when if you wanted to watch something on TV, you had to watch what was on TV? Like, you didn't get options. Does anybody remember this? Like, there was nothing else to stream. You couldn't DVR something, so if you didn't like what was on, you could watch what you DVR'd. You had to watch what was on. Does anybody remember those days? Does anybody remember the days? Listen, there were times when you not only did you have to watch only what was on, you had to watch the commercials. Does anybody remember that? We were under persecution. We were being persecuted. Does anybody remember those days? Right? Hallelujah. But listen, does anybody remember a time when if you wanted to listen to a song, you had to take the cassette tape? I ain't talking to all of y'all. This is only for the God's elect. Does anybody remember you had to take the tape and put it in? And I had this habit. I could never find the start of the song first try. I had to rewind, fast forward, rewind, fast forward. Stop, there it is. Or if you, you had the CD. Or if you didn't have the tape, if you didn't have the CD, and if you weren't willing to pay over the five bucks to buy the cassette single, somebody say amen. If you didn't have any of those, you had to listen to the radio until it came on. Does anybody? Some of y'all recorded the radio for hours. See, that's revival right there. We, we're not there now. Now, all of a sudden, we have this sorcery where you can create your own playlist, right? And, and there's all the, where you can just customize your own playlist. You can customize your TV experience. Why? Because we live in a world that subtly wants to tell you and I that we are the center of the universe. Can I just give you some good news today? We are not the center of the universe. No, seriously, that's like the best news. The best news is that we're not the center of the universe. Some of the biggest problems in my life, the biggest anxieties, the biggest sources of stress in my life come because I start to think that I have to fix every single problem. I've got to be everything for everybody. I've got to hold everything together. Some of the biggest problems in my life come because I forget that God is on the throne and I start to think I'm on the throne. Or, some of the biggest problems in my life come because I know, I know there's a throne with God on it. But maybe he needs my help. You, you, you know, maybe, you know, I, I don't know if he knows about this thing right here. I don't want him to drop the ball, so maybe, maybe he needs me to help him today. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Can I just give you, listen, listen, listen. God doesn't need any help today. The one, I I promise, listen, the one who created all things, sustains all things. So the greatest thing happening, happening in reality right now is there is a throne at the center of it. None of us are on it because God is occupying it. Amen? It's the best news. I promise it's the best news. 
Not only that, but also at the center of reality is a slain lamb with the destiny of the universe in his hand. See, this scroll, what is that scroll? You can read about the scroll that Jesus has in the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel. And on that scroll, Daniel and Ezekiel tell us, is written down the destiny of everything. On the front and back, all of God's plans and purposes are written down on this scroll. That's why John weeps, because if that scroll can't be opened, then God's purposes are not going to happen. God's purposes for the world are on that scroll. God's purposes for the universe are on that scroll. And man, if we could just get close enough and look at that scroll, you would find your life is on that scroll. Your future is on that scroll. God's purposes for all of us are on that scroll. Listen, the answers to the biggest questions that people ask are on that scroll. How can there be a good God with so much evil in the world? Why is this happening to me? Why did my family go through that? And here's the thing. When we ask questions like that, it would be great. It would be nice if we could get an intellectual explanation for the existence of evil. But that's not what you really want. That's not what you want. When you ask a question like that, what you want is somebody to come and fix what's wrong. That's what you want. Because Jesus could come and have a cup of coffee with me and tell me about the existence of evil, but the evil is still there. Does that make sense? That's what you want. When you ask a question like that, you don't want really an explanation. You want the evil gone. Look at me. God fixing every evil is on this scroll. God making all things new is on this scroll. The deeper we get into the book of Revelation, we're going to see God deal with evil on a cosmic level, on a personal level. And listen, the promise of an open scroll is that justice is coming. Amen? Amen. Amen. The promise of an open scroll is that evil is not going to win. We are not getting to the end of this book, and in 12 weeks, the coronavirus gets the last word. Jesus Christ is going to win this. And the way that we know that is the lamb that was slain has a scroll in his hand, and that scroll is the destiny of the universe. And do you see that the response to all of this is worship? Did you see that? It's in Revelation 4, 5. Five times in Revelation 4 and 5, in this one vision, five times spontaneous worship happens. Five times heaven takes a praise break, right? When they see God on the throne, when they see Jesus open the scroll, five times spontaneous worship just breaks out in heaven. When they see God on the throne, the slain lamb with the scroll, their response to this reality is worship. And so what that means for us, here's the last thing, and we'll walk away. What that means for us is that if this is reality, and the response of reality right now this morning is worship, what this means for me and you is that reality demands our attention. My favorite definition of worship. So what is worship? My favorite definition of worship is this, from a guy named Leslie Newbegin. He says, worship 
is the turning of our whole attention to the one who is supremely worthy of our attention. I love that because you can say, what is worship? And here's one word, it's attention. Worship is attention. And I love what Dallas Willard says, what you pay attention to and focus on determines your, wait for it, reality. Can I just tell you something right now? We don't record this one. Well, we do, but it's not live online. Can I just tell you something? Why do you need church? Do you know why you need church? Let me tell you why you need this right here, what we're doing right now. Watch this. You can only see this from this vision. When you and I gather together like we are doing right now, the veil between heaven and earth becomes very thin. And we are entering into sacred space today. Every single time God's people gather together, we are literally syncing up with heaven. This is why I think Megan said it earlier, and we always say it this way. We come into God's presence. Notice that. God does not come into our presence. No. God does not come into my presence. I come into his presence. And what happens when we physically gather together like this is the veil becomes very thin and we enter into sacred space. But the problem for a lot of us is that when we think that worship is only singing, we can come into an environment like this, leave like we will here in just a minute, and say, quote, I didn't get anything out of that. You ever heard people say that? I didn't get anything out of that. And we will leave thinking, I didn't get anything out of that because of something that Mark did in the sermon, because of something the band did during worship singing, and we will not think about what do I give my attention to during the week. Do you understand that? Let that marinate on you for a second. When I'm talking attention, I'm not talking about your eyeballs. I'm talking about your heart. What has your heart during the week? That's what you worship. What do you set your mind on during the week? Because that is what you worship. And listen to me. Fixing your attention on Jesus is war. It is war to fix your attention on Jesus and unseen realities. Not only do you have the world, the flesh, and the devil, you've got the reality of your own sin. So it is war to do this. And I am telling you, listen to me, we're about done. Hang with me for just a few more minutes. The need of the hour is your attention on Jesus. No, it really is. The most urgent need of the hour is your heart, your mind, your attention on Jesus. Now, some of you, it's on your face. Mark, have you watched the news? The most urgent need of the hour is not for my attention to be on Jesus. Mark, listen, I got bills to pay. This world is a mess, and you're telling me that the biggest need in my life is to fix my attention on Jesus? Mark, what good is it going to do if I fix my attention on Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Let me ask you a question. How is the Roman Empire doing this morning? Why couldn't the emperor Domitian and Nero and all of Rome's forces snuff out the church, which is what they wanted to do? 
Why is it that when you read the history of the fall of the Roman Empire, Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter what flavor you are, everybody to a person says one of the key ingredients to the destruction and downfall of Rome was the church of Jesus following the ways of Jesus. How did the church withstand all the persecution from Rome? This vision right here. Because listen to me, if you can get a vision that at the center of the universe is a God on the throne and the lamb that was slain holds your future in your hand, what will Rome do to you? What will Nero do to you? Listen, if that's all true, if at the center is God on the throne, death is gain. Right? right hello? Check yourself here. Death is gain. Paul is right. If God is on the throne and the Lamb has destiny in His hand, let's serve like we've never before, they said. Let's love our neighbors. Let's lay down our lives if necessary. And that is why today the church of Jesus Christ is alive. Hell can't stop it. Rome can't stop it. Why? Because a vision like this centered on your reality will change how you live your life. Do you understand that? You got to get this in your bones, man. Let's bring it into this day. Let's bring it into this day because Rome's not here anymore. <laughs> Bummer for them. Man, it is really easy to get discouraged right now. Isn't it? Man, I've just been really discouraged lately. I just feel it like it's like it's on me. You know what I mean? Like it's just like it's just on me. And maybe that's you. Maybe you feel just the weight of this, just the heaviness of this season. And can I tell you, if you will press in to the God on the throne, you will discover that that God is for you. Man, if you will press in to the Lamb with destiny in his hand, you will find that is your destiny in his hand. And he was slain for you. And if your destiny is in his hand, then you're going to make it. Amen? If your destiny is in his hand, then you're going to make it. See, here's the deal. I can't, deter I can't, I can't do anything about how, what's happening in the world right now. I can't make this pandemic end. I can't fix all the issues in the world, but you know what I can do? I can set my attention on the right things. I've been thinking through and just working through some stuff with the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that works in you. You work it out. God's working in you, but you work it out. Listen, it is your responsibility and your calling by the power of the Spirit Put your attention on Jesus. That's why the book of Hebrews, fix your eyes on him. Book of Colossians, set your mind on things above. I can't make the world do anything, but I can set my mind on Jesus, and I am called. Listen, I am not responsible for your attention, but I'm responsible for my attention. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, some of us need to turn our phones off. Literally, turn it off and set it aside and put your attention on Jesus. By the power of the Spirit, some of you need to stop watching cable news and fix your eyes on Jesus. By the power of the Spirit of God, you need to 
fix your attention on Jesus Christ. Because what you will discover when you do is that he holds your destiny in his hand. And that is the greatest reality. So what did God say to you today and what will you do about it? A great thing to consider is what do you fix your attention on? What has your attention? And so your attention is what has your heart. But when we talk about attention, we literally mean what takes up your time. How much of your time a week do you spend just scrolling? That's a convicting question even to ask. And your phone is not afraid to answer it. And so you can check your screen time in your phone. Your screen time is attention. Uh, maybe you give some time to, a lot of time to the news. You give a lot of time to, you know, relationships. I don't know what you might give your attention to, but what do you give your attention to? The reason that this matters is because we become like what we give our attention to. So the things that have our attention disciple us. This, this is why it's not surprising to see people who are extremely passionate about a certain political position and they are willing to write off every other person who disagrees with them. And it, it's no surprise to discover that that person gives a lot of time to listening to podcasts that support that view, reading articles, watching news, searching for videos on YouTube to support those kind of views. What happens is we are disciples by what we give our attention to. And so just consider that. What do you give your attention to? And what do you need to shift your attention towards? In light of Revelation 4 and 5, what do you need to shift your attention towards? Thanks for listening. Make sure to check the show notes, all the ways to connect, give, it's all there. See you next time on the podcast.